There are no official statistics on how many people vanish each year on federal lands. But some theorists believe that nearly 1,600 people currently remain unaccounted for to this day. 1,600 lives lost forever to the wild. According to the National Forest Service, the number one cause of backcountry death is falling. Beyond that is heat stroke, hypothermia, animal attacks, drowning, and the list goes on. But the truth is, there's really only one thing that kills anyone who dares to venture into the untamed wilderness. And that's our innate tendency to make emotional decisions in critical situations. The people of Whitetail, Minnesota, know this all too well. The town of about 900 residents is almost entirely surrounded by the massive Whitetail National Forest. Over 2.9 million acres of untouched land. The chaos of nature constantly brushing up against the tidiness of their everyday lives. And one night, in the spring of 2015, someone they love got a little too close to the edge. I didn't know if he was dead or alive, but I just wanted to get out there and look. Peregrine Wells was a sophomore at Whitetail High School. She'd grown up in Whitetail, but she'll be the first to admit that she was never very outdoorsy. She was more of a movie buff, like her mother, Kathy. She liked hanging out with her friends. She dreamed of going to college in St. Paul, maybe studying photography. But that spring, Peregrine's path was altered forever and she began a journey she never imagined she'd have to make. A journey that started with a disappearance in the forest and ended two years later with yet another. My name is Brett Ryback. This is In Strange Woods. Chapter One, A Man Who Cannot Be Saved. And at the time, how did you feel about the search effort? I hated how sure they all acted about everything. Like, they knew what Jacob would do or where he would go, but they didn't know anything. It was a snowy Sunday morning in late April 2015 when Peregrine walked into her brother's room to find it empty. This wasn't like him. There had been no calls, no texts. The last time she'd seen Jacob was Saturday afternoon. He rushed into her room for a last-minute assist with his bow tie. It was prom night. Once fully primped, the 18-year-old center on Whitetail High School's varsity hockey team left home to meet up with his buddies and their dates, leaving his sister behind for what she could only assume would be an unremarkable evening. But what she didn't know was... Whenever there was alcohol around, Jacob always hit it pretty hard. That's Bobby Anderson, one of Jacob's best friends. They both brought flasks to prom. It's not like he was an alcoholic, but once the drinking started, he'd always take it a bit too far. Jacob wasn't known for causing trouble, but he'd been sneaking hits of liquor all night in the hotel ballroom where senior prom was held. You get all the kids, the noise, they're packed into this room. You know it's crazy, all the screaming, you just have to assume things are normal. Unless you notice something really wrong. That's Irene O'Connor, substitute teacher at Whitetail High, chaperone on the night when something went really wrong. Around 11 o'clock, the room thinned out. She figured kids were going home. But what she didn't know was... I had to get Jacob from the bathroom. He'd been in there for a while, just zoning out. 
He said he was fine, just needed a break from the crowd. So he grabbed her stuff and left for the shack. The shack. The shack. The shack. Everybody goes to the shack. The shack, an abandoned ranger station deep in the national forest, the site of the unofficial afterparty to the Whitetail Senior Prom. Did you know this? Did anyone tell you this? Our own vice principal knew that kids would leave his event to go and drink and smoke in the middle of the woods. Well, isn't that great? So Jacob and Bobby were on their way to the after party at the shack. They both had planned to meet their dates for a night in the Whitetail Forest. The last place Jacob Wells was seen, a speck amongst a million trees. The shack is at least a mile and a half past where the forest starts. There's no real trail. It's dark. It's dense. It's easy to get lost. They light a bonfire. They dance and drink. They sing some songs. And no one blinks when Jacob decides to turn around and walk back home alone. Because what they didn't know was What happened out there when I let him walk back? When I let him walk back alone? When he found out his date wasn't coming to the shack? He said he'd rather go home. It's guesswork, it's messy, it's hard. And you can't predict how people will behave. These kids should have known not to play in the dark. If you stray from the trail, you are bound to get lost in the maze. That's Sheriff Neil Porter. He was new on the job when the call came in about a missing teenage boy. Jacob's mother, Kathy Wells, was on the other end of the line. I told the police what I knew, and I prayed it wasn't too late. You want to do more, but what can you do except wait and wait and wait? A mother's hope laid at their hands. The sheriff's team prepared their plans. At the time, all anyone knew was that Jacob never made it home after he left the shack. Ordinarily, the sheriff's department would have sent search parties out into the woods immediately, but it had been snowing nonstop since 3 a.m. the night of the prom. Here's Sheriff Porter again. We couldn't send out parties until the storm cleared. Too dangerous. Lost a lot of time right off the bat. Finally, 48 hours after Jacob was last seen, Four search teams made up of county officials and whitetail residents were assigned to scan an initial three-mile radius. The forest is vast and varied. Any footprints were erased by a foot of snow. We tried to think like Jacob thought. Drunk, upset, and alone. Where would he go? Peregrine wanted to join the search. They insisted she stay back. But her brother was missing out in the woods. It killed her not to act. While they were out there, I went searching through his room. Searching for clues wall to wall. I wanted to scream because there was nothing I could do. And then we got Bobby's call. It was the second day. We were all really tired. It was getting dark. But then I felt something under my shoe. I don't know why I even noticed it. I looked down and saw this cufflink. I was pretty certain it was Jacob's. They were vintage, uh, from his grandpa. I called Peregrine and Kathy right away and they confirmed it. All of a sudden we felt like we could be close. 
I knew Jacob had been drinking Who knows where he stumbled But now he at least had a sign I thought he might be under a drift Or trapped by a rock At least he could still be alive Finding the cufflink fueled another arduous day of searching That afternoon, someone spotted a deep indent in a thick patch of lingering snow They dug it out Only to find a dead deer You could feel morale declining. They were desperate for another clue. Beneath some ridge or fallen pine. We did all we could do. But they only knew what they knew. knew. It's guesswork, it's messy, it's hard. And you can't breathe. I thought he could find his way. We were beyond by a few hundred yards. I should have made it. For those four frost-bitten days, the search teams had grown smaller and smaller. Then suddenly, on the morning of Friday, May 1st, a 911 call from an unexpected caller. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah, I, uh, I found the boy, the missing boy. What boy, sir? The Wells boy. I found his body. Jacob Wells was found by a local man named Peter Howland, or Howell, as he would come to be known. Howland lived sequestered on a sprawling 190-acre lot that butted up against the southwest edge of the National Forest. He discovered Jacob's body on his property while making a routine perimeter hike. It was less than a mile away from where the search parties had been looking. The return of warm temperatures had melted the snow, revealing Jacob's final struggle. It seems that in his lost, inebriated state, Jacob wandered in circles, likely for many hours. At some point, he attempted to climb a large boulder, presumably to get a better view of his surroundings, and he fell. His ankle was broken, and his head was concussed from when it hit the ground. He then huddled in the brush for shelter and warmth, while the spring snowstorm brought temperatures below freezing. The official cause of death was hypothermia. Vigils were planned. Jacob's sister Peregrine didn't want to attend any of them. Her mother Kathy didn't make her. I remember thinking... I don't know how we're going to get through this. Because I could sense Peregrine retreating, and that really worried me. I just lost my son. I I didn't want to lose my daughter, too. What do you remember most about Jacob? That he was a good brother. Yeah. Yeah, and how not funny he was. (laughs) How not funny he was? (laughs) Yeah, no one could ever get him to laugh. I always tried. He was a serious type person. All the time, talked like an adult. (laughs) And when he started dating, he'd like, ask me my opinions. I'd say, try not to be so dull. 
was always hockey in his pickup, had his license, that was pretty cool. He'd drive his friends to games and drive us both to school. He was good to talk to on the road. Freshman year was really sort of tough for me. So we'd go into older brother mode. When something happens, come and find me. Come and find me. I'll help get you through. You're in trouble, he'd remind me. Come and find me, I'll know what to do. Come and find me, I'm looking out for you. Everyone in Whitetail felt the loss. Irene O'Connor has five sons, one of whom was in the same grade as Jacob. She remembers how people came out to help. You know, we brought over maybe 20 different kind of hot dish and we cried and laughed and we prayed and it's a small community you know we just look out for each other especially since Kathy and Peregrine are on their own I think dad leaving hit him harder he was 10 I was only 8 and neither of us knew it but like they were having problems and then one night he moved away And for the rest of that semester, maybe longer, Jacob didn't speak. Like he was quiet before, but this got really bleak. At the time, I didn't quite know why. Then one day I'm downstairs with the TV on. And he sits on the couch and starts to cry. When something happens, come and find me. Come and find me, I'll help get you through If someone hurts you, he'd remind me You come and find me, I'll know what to do Come and find me, I'm always there for you I never thought that this could happen to someone like Jacob He was smart, he was careful, and he never got that scared The fact that this could happen to someone like Jacob Means none of us can ever be too prepared Hearing her talk about it You can tell Peregrine's sense of the way life was supposed to go had been completely shattered. And it's understandable. Anytime a young person dies, it feels like some unwritten rule has been broken. And you can imagine how this played out for everyone in Whitetail. Questions began to swirl about what might have been done differently. And as is often the case when tragedy strikes, it wasn't too long before fingers were being pointed. Porter acts like he's some big deal because he patrolled Kansas City for 10 years. Like, like I'm impressed. He doesn't understand this community like the real folks who live and work here. Donald Van Kalkar is a local business owner and the cousin of Kathy Wells by marriage. Peregrine calls him Uncle Donald. His company, Van Kalkar Snow and Motorsports, is one of the most successful businesses in town. He donated snowmobiles for the search effort. 
I gave them a very good deal. Everyone knows Donald. And everyone knows how he was outspokenly critical of the way Sheriff Porter handled the search. There were a lot of opinions being thrown around, as I can recall. But look, we tried to do the best we could with the information we had. But when you've got kids out drinking and driving, nobody's paying attention. I mean, where's the parenting? If it wasn't the sheriff's department or parenting problems, then technology was to blame. Distracting the kids, leaving them vulnerable. As a substitute teacher and mother of five, Irene O'Connor sees this firsthand. It's just the hardest part of the job, trying to get them to put those phones down. How they're supposed to learn about anything, I I don't know. They're just obsessed. Irene was washing dishes while we talked. It was generally difficult to get her to sit still for interviews. And then there was her husband, Declan. Hey, Seamus is the worst. Tell him about that. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, So Seamus, he's our second boy, he got into a car accident because of the texting. Yeah, our insurance went through the roof. Declan wouldn't agree to a formal interview, but instead opted to shout commentary from the other room. Thankfully, I was at least able to get him to turn down the football game. Look, they got their eyes to the ground all the time. There's just no sense of what's going on around them. It's a disaster waiting to happen. You get down to the bottom of things, and you start to wonder if this could have been prevented. And as far as the students at Whitetail High were concerned, nobody was asking their opinions. We depend on all these adults to, like, protect us, but, like, they're not protecting us. They overprotect us. Yeah, they're overprotecting us. They treat us like babies until one day it's too late. That's Peregrine's cousin, John Francis, and her best friend, Lexi. So then it's up to us, I guess, which is sad, but, like, that's how it is. I'll probably always think about it. What if, like, what could I have done? Mom keeps saying nothing, that these accidents just happen. But that's not enough. If Jacob knew about surviving or else camping, even hunting deer. If Dad had done his job, maybe Jacob would be here. time I think of that it makes me mad Cause now I have to wrestle with this fear When something happens who will find me Who will find me if I'm somewhere left for dead If Jacob's not there to remind me In Strange Woods, we'll return after a short break. Jacob Wells' death was the beginning of something no one in Whitetail could have anticipated. A brewing storm that would force the entire community to reckon with the surrounding wilderness and put Jacob's loved ones in a battle for their lives. We were out there almost every night. We started thinking of ourselves as, like, survivalists. Especially after Peregrine got us training for the final. The final? Yeah, you know, like, a final exam, end of the year. 
everything got way more intense after that. It all began that summer when Peregrine became obsessed with the idea of survival. Most of the stuff you learn about the woods are like little tricks, like moss grows on the north side of a tree or whatever, stuff that's not really helpful and sometimes not even true. Like, I remember seeing this one article about... Peregrine has intense brown eyes that seem to always demand something from whomever she's talking to. Her self-assured maturity is contrasted by her round face and youthful curiosity. I read every book at my school library. I started following survivalist videos on YouTube. And I even... <laughs> I took this awful class at the um, that the Forest Service provided. It was literally me and 10 fourth graders. None of it offered the relief she sought. Her brother had been hit with the completely unexpected. How do you prepare for that, she wanted to know. And even though Peregrine and her friends had all grown up in the shadow of these woods, survival skills weren't a priority for their parents or their teachers. Sure, they hiked and hunted, went off-roading in their 4x4s. But to survive, alone, with no shelter and minimal supplies? Good luck. My dad says only hippies camp in the woods because they don't have anything to lose. (laughs) Yeah, I think my mom was, like, traumatized from when she used to go with her parents back in the day. Never wants to talk about it. Well, I I hunt with my dad, but I wouldn't say we're exactly roughing it. Uh, Yeah. Doesn't he have, like, a a portable toilet? Why do you remember (laughs) that? (laughs) It's so (laughs) weird. I just feel like humans used to be so much better at this stuff. We weren't always so defenseless. Peregrine's frustration eventually led her to focus on one person. Um, can you tell me your name? Peter Howland. And how long have you lived in Whitetail? On and off about 13 years. Do you enjoy living here? I like the quiet. How did this one man, entirely separate from the county's sizable search effort, find Jacob Wells when no one else could? Was it simply a fluke? A coincidence that because Jacob had wandered onto his property, Howland was able to stumble upon him? Or was there more? Peter Howland appeared in Whitetail sometime in the winter of 2001, unexpectedly inheriting the large plot of land where he now resides. By all accounts, he arrived quietly and rather suddenly. It must have been four or five years before I even realized someone was living there. That house had been empty for so long. When people did start to notice Howland, it was partly due to the extreme austerity of his existence. His cottage had been disconnected from the electrical grid in the early 90s, And that's how Holland left it. He used candles for light, built fires for warmth. He hunted deer and small game with handmade snares and bow and arrows. Uh, He mostly keeps to himself, doesn't bother anyone, as long as they stay off his land. You get people like that up in the Northwoods, people who want peace and quiet. He's a hippie. Nothing to live for, nothing to lose. he's, he's, uh, He's never tried to fit in. Like, he has a a grudge against normal society. Howland didn't own a vehicle, which meant that on the few occasions when he went into town, some 10 miles away, he walked. It was on one of these trips that Peregrine got her first good look at the man who found her brother. 
his stout build, his long hair and grizzled beard. He'd been in the pick and save before, but like, I never really paid attention to him. But that summer, he came in and Lexi was working the registers. Lexi and Peregrine have been friends since second grade. They both work at the grocery store. And we noticed that he was buying all these cans, beans and chicken and corn, like three or four bags of cans. And then he would go outside and he'd put them in his little wagon and then um, walk back to his, you know, his house. And I thought, wow, because he didn't own a truck or anything. So he had to walk and he's older. Peregrine said she felt bad that he had to walk all that way just to get groceries. So um, she arranged to make deliveries for him. To Peregrine, Hal wasn't just some recluse in the woods. He was the one person who brought an end to the search for her brother when no one else could. She wanted to help him, to thank him. And she had a feeling that he knew things, things that nobody else did. So once a month, she would get a grocery list from Howell. Then after her shift, she'd drive the groceries back to his house. In time, their initial awkward small talk gave way to more meaningful conversations. What do you think that was about, her reaching out to him? I don't know, I think she had questions and that he could answer them. What kind of questions? How did he find Jacob? I mean, I, I certainly wondered that. When I interviewed Howell about it, he said he knew that the town had been searching for someone. His property was right there, right where all the search parties had been looking. So when he made his rounds that Thursday morning, he suspected he might find something. It's always the smell. The smell hits you first. And as far as smells go, death is damn near the worst. So I followed my nose like a curse till I found the remains. He was slumped in the brush, exposed to the cold, had his phone in his hand as if God was on hold. That's the mark of a man. Who cannot be saved In the days leading in I'd heard all their calls Saw them flock to the woods Bearing no skills at all So I wasn't too shocked When I saw how that boy had behaved He had never been taught never learned to survive, didn't make any plan, left his wounds open wide. That's the mark of a man who cannot be saved. Howell's frank objectivity could be jarring at times, but Peregrine was drawn to his point of view. After a few months of delivering groceries, she eventually asked him to teach her certain skills, how to use a bow and arrow, how to chop wood, how to make a snare. Her once-a-month visits became twice a month. She was learning and enjoying it. Did it ever concern you that she was spending so much time with this man? No. No, as long as she's doing her schoolwork and she has her job, her free time is hers. You weren't concerned about her safety? Her safety? I, I just mean because she's in high school and, and he's an older guy and... Oh, no, 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 no. I had met him. And I knew he was teaching her to be more self-sufficient. I mean, that's what she told me. Right. 
And we have nice people up here in Minnesota. Good people. Do you know if Howland is from Minnesota? No, I don't. There's the hunger, the thirst, the choking on wind. You lose grip of hope. That's when panic sets in. You forget who you are, where you've been, the mistakes that you've made. If you think it's the end, if you think you're alone, then it is and you are and there's no going home. That's the mark of a man who cannot be saved. She was getting something back, you know, her her kick, her strength every time she'd go over there. I don't know if she was starting to act more like herself. I mean, that's what you want, right? To, to find something to get you up in the morning again. By the time spring came, Peregrine was spending every Saturday morning at Howland's, maintaining the property, learning new skills, and testing her retention. At first, it was hard to keep up. He would teach me these harvesting techniques that he learned in Africa and this deep breathing thing from... um. I forget if it was Malaysia or Myanmar, but I was just blown away with how much stuff he knew. Hal was a hesitant but natural teacher. His mind was sharp, despite the physical wear and tear of the years. As they grew closer, Peregrine noticed him struggle with the limits of his age. She wanted to find a way to help. It was the roof. (laughs) Right. Peregrine said he needed help with some repairs on his roof, and honestly... It sounded more interesting than sitting in my bedroom all day. Yeah, and uh, way better than working for my dad. So that summer, Peregrine enlisted four of her classmates, including her cousin, John Francis, and her best friend, Lexi, to help work on Hal's cottage. It was a little weird at first, I guess, but he definitely needed the help. I think he was impressed that we actually cared about doing a good job. Yeah, and Peregrine... It obviously meant a lot to her that we were there. They'd spend the mornings doing repairs. Then in the afternoons, they'd join Peregrine for her training sessions. It was just for fun at first, but then we really got into it, and turns out we were actually pretty good. By the end of that summer, Peregrine and Howell had transformed these kids into a small army of survivalists. And that's when things took a turn. See, even as Howell was teaching the teens skills they wouldn't learn anywhere else, one question seemed to linger in Peregrine's mind. The fear she'd had ever since Jacob died. When something happens, who will find me? Who will find me from somewhere left for dead? If Jacob's not there to remind me, come and find me, what is there instead? To answer it, Peregrine was prepared to test the limits of her newfound self-sufficiency to an extreme that defied logic. She was about to make an emotional decision in a critical situation. How did you first come up with the idea for the final? I wanted to know what it's like to be lost. Really lost. To, To see if we could survive what Jacob went through. Because then it, it wasn't for nothing. 
It can't have been for nothing. Peregrine's plan for the final was this. In the coming spring, some six months away, Howell would lead the teens deep into the woods, well beyond where Jacob had wandered. There, he would leave them one by one, with no sense of where they are and minimal supplies for survival. Their mission? Make it home alive. Howell thought it was crazy and said we'd never go through with it. But he was excited to help us try. If you're 8 or 18 or a bleak 65 There's one job in life You have to survive So why, honestly, why isn't anyone trained? These kids ask for help, these kids understand They saw how this town left their lives up to chance They're saving themselves Because no one else can You want to believe that the fight will be fair That someone will come or that someone will care the mark of a man who cannot be saved. That's the mark of a man who cannot be saved. So, no maps, no phones, no GPS. You're out there all alone. What if something goes wrong? That's the whole point. We prepare for something to go wrong. And what do all your parents think about this? They don't, they, my mom is really happy I'm learning all this new stuff. She said that? Yeah. Yeah. And the final's not until May, so I'm not really worried about it. There's a lot of time to prep. More than enough. Peregrine couldn't have known it then. But the truth was, there wasn't going to be more than enough time and nothing would prepare her for all the things that were going to go wrong. Despite her best intentions, Peregrine's steadfast pursuit would take on a life of its own, leading her to betray, alienate, and injure the people she cared about most. And before it was all over, another human life would be taken by the woods. One more soul lost forever to the wild. I'm actually feeling really good about it. Really good. But what she didn't know was... Next time. In Strange Woods is a production of Atypical Artists. The series was created and written by Jeff Lupino Esposito, Brett Ryback, and Matt Zav. The series was directed by Jeff Lupino Esposito, music produced by Matt Sav and Evan Cunningham, and sound designed by Brandon Grugel and Steven Jensen. In Strange Woods is executive produced by Matt Sav, Brett Ryback, Jeff Lupino Esposito, Lauren Shippen, and Brigham Snow. For more information about the cast and crew, please visit InStrangeWoods.com. Strange Woods.